Alright y'all, what is going on? This is your man L. Jamal coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is a place where you can say what you want as long as you got the facts. Uh, today, we are just going to keep it sports oriented. Uh, I got a lot of football I want to talk about. So today, we're going to be going over some college football. Of course, we are getting into week two. We have some non-top 25 action going on right now. Uh, we are going to basically kind of... Uh, Get get through some headlines going into the season. Uh, we're going to make a few predictions here. I'm going to be going over the ACC, the Pac-12, and also the Big Ten. going to be going over my favorites to win each conference, so on and so forth. Uh, we also, like I said, we do. I do want to go over the headlines going into the season. A uh, couple of them. Well, the main one, the main thing this year, uh, we went through uh, the NIL stuff, the... Um, uh, you know, what What do I want to say? Um, you know, the pay for play type of stuff. We went through that earlier this summer. Uh, but the big thing now is now that we're in the midst, of everything is conference alignment alignment for a lot of these teams. We're going to talk about that. Uh, we do have um, two teams being added to the SEC. We also have the Big 12 in the expansion game. Uh, the ACC, the Pac-12 and the Big 10 have decided to answer to that. So we're going to talk about that. And then we're also going to get through some top 25. Uh, we're going to preview some top 25 matchups going into tomorrow. That is the big day for the top 25 action. Like I said, we are in the midst of week two, but nothing top 25 in terms of well, anybody in the top 25 going on today. But tomorrow we do have at least four big matchups that I at least wanted to preview. Uh, we're also going to be going over week one in the NFL, at least Thursday night football. Bucks versus Cowboys. I also want to go over a little bit of news in the NFL as well. So, like I said, uh, more of a sports-oriented football day. So, let's go ahead and get into it. Like I said, uh, we are in the midst of a new college football season, of course. Uh, week one and what they wanted to call week zero is past us. Uh, we already know some things right now, such as Nebraska slash Scott Frost, their head coach, is in trouble. Um Let's see, North Carolina was very highly touted. Uh, they got exposed in week zero, so if you want to call it that, week zero slash week one. Uh, we also had a couple uh, other major matchups, but uh, one of the big storylines here, of course, past the NIL, past, you know, students getting paid for what they do, like I said, is conference expansion or realignment. Uh, recently, uh, the Big 12 uh, has lost, well, has lost a couple members, that being Texas and Oklahoma, who have decided to uh, to accept invitations uh, from the SEC. So that would be effective January, sorry, July of 2025. So, again, not right away. We're going to have some time before then. But I'm pretty sure uh, Texas will join the SEC West with Oklahoma joining the SEC East. I'm not too sure. Yeah, geographically, geogra geographically, excuse me. Ooh, I don't agree with it. Um, I don't think it makes any sense. Uh, I don't think Texas is SEC caliber. You could say make a case for Oklahoma, but not from what I've been seeing from the national championship play. Oh, sorry, the the playoff um, games that I've seen from Oklahoma. I don't see that they're on that level. But again. Uh, the SEC just wanted to become the the ultimate conference. Everybody has to go through them. I mean, again, it's a power play. Um, they wanna they wanna have as many teams propped up in this conference as possible. So whenever Alabama or whoever wins that conference can easily get a trip to the playoff. That's all pretty much what it's about. They're shooing to finish now, uh, one or two. That's the whole point here with the SEC making this move. Uh, again, geographically, I kind of don't get it uh from a from a 
Texas talent wise, I don't think Texas is on that level right now. Again, you could make a case for Oklahoma possibly, but I, I haven't seen Oklahoma win a championship since 2000. I haven't seen Texas win a championship since 2005. Again, uh, these are two kind. I mean, at least in the terms of Texas, uh, Texas is a very overhyped team. It's another team that they can add to the to the stable and it becomes another you know for whoever the, the sec champion is it's just another you know stepping stone um but in response to that the pac-12 the big 10 and also the acc have decided to create their own scheduling pact excuse me all 41 teams in the three conferences have come together to pretty much set up non-conference or sorry you call them interconference games uh this is a quote uh coming from the acc commissioner jim phillips he went on to say that acc the big 10 and pac-12 recognize the unique environment and challenges facing the intercollegiate athletic facing intercollegiate intercollegiate athletics meaning students are now getting paid teams are jumping to different conferences so on etc um and we are proud and confident in this timely it it, we are proud and confident in this timely and necessary alliance that brings together like-minded institutions and conferences focused on the overall educational uh, missions of our preeminent institutions. Now, all that is being said here is they see the, East, the SEC making moves. They're adding some powerhouse teams. Now, we could say, I mean, Texas, again, has underperformed in many years, but it's still a brand name in college football. Uh, you know, Oklahoma, same thing. They haven't won a championship since 2000, but they still finished in the top 25 a lot, more so than Texas as of recently. But again, they're generally a team that finishes in the top 25, top 10, even more so. And so these are, you know, what you would call powerhouse institutions. These are power five schools, and they're going to bring, you know, they're going to bring interest to the SEC, of course. They're going to bring in whatever revenue they're going to bring in. And I think, the, like I said, the ACC and the Pac-12, they wanted to uh, answer to that. Uh, because, again, pretty much, you know, this gives adding Texas and Oklahoma, particularly Oklahoma, gives pretty much the SEC, you know, access to at least two spots in the playoff. That's especially now when there's only four slots. So that's pretty much what they're going to try to do here. I, that's what I see here. And the Pac-12, like I said, the Big Ten and ACC decided that they're going to answer that by scheduling games uh, against each other throughout the season. It looks like, well, maybe, I don't know, earlier in the season, I don't know how they're going to exactly when the game's going to be, but it seems to me they're coming together and saying, your, the best of your conferences should go up against our conferences. And the funny thing is about conference realignment and is I understand what people are going to say on the surface, particularly with adding teams like Oklahoma and, you know, Texas to a conference like the SEC is, oh, well, we're getting all these matchups that we wouldn't normally get. When in reality, you could have gotten these matchups for years. Uh, had your athletic departments had, well, not so much your athletic departments, but your scheduling people involved in your, whoever's involved within your scheduling, within your athletic, well, at least your football program, uh, schedule these, these games. You could have very easily for years had teams play against each other. But what was happening, ranked teams from these different conferences play each other at any point in the season. But what's happening, they were so scared of taking the L that they would pretty much say, look, you know, we're only going to maybe, you know, schedule one of these non tough non-conference squads every few years. But for the most part, we're going to try our best to run rub shot through our conferences. That's what these conferences decided to do. But what happened was, again, of course, the media is always going to go for the SEC. That's where the money is at. That's, you know, it, there is an inherent bias there. Now, on the flip side, Alabama generally tends to win the championships. With, with that being said, it's usually Alabama from the SEC. If, if the SEC was that dominant of a conference, other teams would win every year. It wouldn't be just Alabama. I'm sorry. I, until Georgia wins a championship, I can't buy them as some threat. Until I see Kentucky win something, I, it's not a whole thing. The SEC, in my opinion, is strictly Alabama. That's why, I mean, but again, the for whatever reason, the media, the pollsters, uh, whoever's involved with, you know, making these playoff rankings, will always, they, and this is the thing, they always give preferential treatment to that conference. Why? I don't know. I, I'm sorry. That conference is not as great as people make it out to be. 
outside of Alabama and maybe the second best team, which would be Georgia this year, it's garbage. Florida is not going to be that great this year. Mississippi State is generally not a, a uh, naturally not national power. That's just the way it is. Ole Miss is garbage. Um, Kentucky is garbage. Uh, Texas A&M has not won anything since joining that conference. Same thing with Missouri. Uh, so it's like, I mean, and you look at Tennessee, Tennessee's falling off the wayside. So who really, I mean, really, why does the SEC, you know, continue to generate this much attention, this much, you know, uh, preference and, and just bias? I mean, it's ridiculous. Again, I get why you added a team like Texas and maybe Oklahoma. Those are two legit teams. They're better than some of the teams you have in the conference right now to an extent. Um, but even these two, I mean, again, but if it's all about scheduling, if it's all about putting the best team schedule forward, again, these teams, Texas could have easily added Alabama to their schedule at any point in time within the SEC. Same thing with Oklahoma. We would have got to see Oklahoma do this for years. Um, I, I give a lot of props to Oregon and Ohio State um, for scheduling, you know, you know, uh, you know, the game that they have tomorrow because it kind of shows you, you know, you don't need to necessarily switch up conferences. You don't need to jump conferences to get those matchups. You just need to set them up. Uh, the ADs or, you know, again, whoever is responsible in these, fo these football pro programs for setting up these games, you could easily have done this. Um, Again, you know, as far as uh, you know, for the ACC and and, and again, their pack, their alliance with the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, they could have been scheduling those games. You could have had Oregon playing, you know, Clemson. You could have had you know um, Cal visiting you know Michigan for a home at home type of series, but y'all didn't do it. They were too scared to take an L. Now, now SEC, the SEC, the, the conference that everybody is going to give preferential treatment to, anyways, is making a move. Now it's like, oh God, let's let's get let's set up these games. Let's get up. Let's get us. Let's get a pat going here. We're going to set up good matchups too. You could have been doing this without all this unnecessary shit. Now, with all that being said, um, the Big Twelve loses two prominent members, but it has decided to add. I think I believe it's four more members. Um, business, excuse me. Uh, it will be business as usual until about 20, 2025. Uh, like I said, Oklahoma and you know Texas will pretty much bounce out to the SEC. Uh, but you know they have decided they pretty much voted unanimous, unanimously uh, to add. We have uh, UCF. Uh, we also added BYU, Cincinnati, and uh, in Houston, that being the Big 12. And again, this is coming from the Big 12 themselves. They approved unanimously uh, with the eight remaining members. Um, and that's Baylor, TCU, Texas Tech, uh, I believe it's Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State. So all those guys pretty much unanimously agreed to add these four schools. Uh, BYU plans to join in 2023. And the other teams plan to show up by 2024. Uh, BYU can show up a little bit earlier because its football program isn't independent. Uh, the only trans, the only issue might be with this other teams because they play in their other teams are like, for instance, their basketball, baseball programs are all in the Mountain. Uh, sorry, the West Coast Conference. Let me take that back. Uh, but football, they can join within, you know, pretty much whenever they want to because they're, like I said, they're an independent program. Um, the three other teams could join, uh, but again, they're they were already in the American Athletic Conference. So, uh, how those stipulations work is the American Athletic Conference. Uh, well, first of all, gives you a twenty-seven. Well, you have to give them a 27, 27 month notice, and you also have to pay ten a ten million dollar buyout fee. So, uh, with that being said, with a higher payout fee, uh, let's say Houston or uh, UCF or one of those teams from, from the American conference could easily come, you know, within the next year or so. It all depends on if they want to pay or not. It's about money in, in a lot of these cases. Money, TV contracts, that's a lot, what, you know, what it comes down to um, in terms of college football. It's not just about, you know, I always thought it was about the best teams play, you know, playing each other, number one, the true number ones, and number two for a long time. Uh, but it's really just about who they craft and who they really want to put in those positions. I mean, because uh, in reality, 
they're going to hype the winner of the SEC no matter what. Um, no matter what happens, no matter who plays who and what conference, they're going to do whatever they can to put the SEC team over everybody else. Um, it, it's it's ridiculous, really, uh, you know, because, again, outside of Alabama, that conference is questionable at best. Uh, again, they seem to do pretty decently in ball games in those in that regard. Uh, but, again, if we're talking about who's winning the national championship, it's only one or two teams in general that you see consistently there every year and you're going to see Alabama you're going to see Clemson and you're going to see Ohio State I cannot for the for the life of me say that because Ohio State is a stronger program than a lot a lot of teams in the Pac-12 that the that the because of because of Ohio State the Big Ten is a better conference I'm not going to say that um Ohio State is a better team than a lot of other than a lot of other places, but the Big Twelve as a whole, no, not with teams like Illinois, not with teams like Indiana who are, who are ranked so high that come out and fall flat and lose thirty four to six in week one of the college football year. That's not what I'm looking at here. Okay, I, I can't. I I understand. I understand why teams do it. I, the more the older that I get. The more unnecessary that I don't think it is, because look at look at the Pac-12 right now. Uh, we added Utah and we added Colorado. Are Utah and Colorado realistically ever going to challenge for as for for the title for the Pac-12 title? I, I can never see a situation in which they do. Was it was it was it necessary for them to come here? I don't think so. I would have taken be uh, you know Boise. They're a much more competitive team. They've beaten some of our teams. You know. A lot more than Colorado has. Look at Colorado's conference record. It's it's deplorable. It's not necessary. It's really not necessary. I mean, these teams could literally just could just put these games on their schedule. It's about not being afraid to take the L. And we we are in a position right now where it's so. And one thing, I mean, I, there's so many high stakes in college football, but. With the bias, it kind of is like, what's the point of having these stakes? Like, you could literally lose a game and you're out of the mix. If you're in any other conference in the SEC, if you lose more than one game, you're eliminated. You can be a two-loss SEC team and they'll say, oh, man, this team just had so many good games that it's okay that they had two losses. Let's put them in over over somebody from the Pac-12 of one, even though they've won their conference. That Pac-12 team has won their conference. So, it's a lot of bias. Um... And I again, like I, I understand why the teams are making these moves, but I don't think that they're necessarily helpful because now you have the smaller, the mid-major conference, the ACC, the American, excuse me, they're two teams short now. Now they have to figure out how they're gonna, you know, get by, how they're gonna be able to position themselves. So it, it's it's you know, big bank take little bank, and again, that's what we're dealing with. All right, y'all, let's move on. Uh, we're going to do some top 25 predictions. Uh, actually, let's talk about the conferences first. Uh, let's start off with the Pac-12. And my winner of the Pac-12, of course, is going to be, well, with no real introduction, it's not to be the Oregon Ducks, of course. And the reason why I go with that is simply, well, they're coming off a 4-3 and three year, and yet they still won the national, uh, sorry, their conference title. Uh, they did get to a ball game, the Fiesta Ball, major one. They did lose to Iowa State. Uh, but we missed out on a lot of uh, starters. Um, they decided to sit out last last season. But they are coming back. Um, we are we are also bringing in another top 10 recruiting class. Um, as, far, as far as our, you know, the squad that is returning, we're, being, we're bringing back our leading rusher, excuse me, C.J. Burdell. Last year, he had 285 yards on the ground. He also had three touchdowns. We're also bringing back our top receivers, Johnny Johnson III and also Jalen Red. The Ducks uh, do have some, some questions to answer at quarterback. Uh, last, year's, uh, last year's starter, Tyler Shuck, uh, he decided to transfer to Texas Tech. But we do have graduate transfer, Anthony Brown, who's looking like he's going to be who's looking like he's going to be the day one starter. Uh, I believe he did start in the last game as well against uh, Fresno State. Uh, so far in his college career, he's had 42 touchdowns, 21 interceptions. Uh, we also had uh, five-star freshman Ty Thompson. 
Um, and we also had 40 points per game almost last season uh, with uh, offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead. So I think offensively we're improving. Uh, we brought back a lot of those pieces that made it successful. Uh, as far as defense is concerned, of course, we're bringing back some of our top players as well, including defensive lineman Kayvon Thibodeau. And uh, last year he had three sacks. Uh, he was the conference best defensive lineman. We're also bringing back safety Jamal Hill. Uh, he had two interceptions in the conference championship game against USC. We're also bringing back young, uh, young linebackers Justin Flo and also Mace Fauna. So I think in terms of a, of a favorite, I would go with Oregon. You know, every year they talk about USC as well. USC is very overrated. I'm just going to just outright say it. They don't end up winning the championship ever. Uh, they're always trying to make a case for not being big media. They're always trying to, you know, just like they do with certain teams like Texas. You know, they're always trying to overhype them. Say, oh, they had a great, they had a great this. They had a great off season. They're gonna catch these teams off guard. They're gonna win the pack, and they never do. Just like with Texas, they don't end up winning the division despite everything the media wants to say about them. I'm, I'm tired of the of the USC narrative. I'm tired of people just every chance they get. Every time somebody's asked about the, you know, and it's like, do you do you watch Pac-12 football? Do you listen to anybody else outside of First Take or whoever's on ESPN? Because the first thing that anybody on any television program is going to say about the Pac-12, USC this, USC that. USC hasn't won back-to-back back-to-back Pac-12 titles in years. When was the last time they won the conference? Their division is up for grabs. You can say what you want. Their division is up for grabs. UCLA could beat them this year. I'm tired of the USC hype train. I don't care how many people they bring back. They don't win the, the conference. They barely win the division. Until they can do something other than that, I don't see why they're even here. Yes, they were 5-1 last season, but they were exposed in the conference championship game. Okay? Keaton Slovis threw three interceptions in that game. Stop bragging about him. He's not that great. <laughs> when he plays against quality opposition, he didn't show up. We saw this. So, I don't know. They are bringing in some transfers. Uh, running back Keontae Ingram uh, out of Texas. He's had 67 receptions in his career so far. Um, you also are bringing in... Um, Oh, he, he's going to be backing up uh, Vavea Malapea, who's also returning. Uh, we do have Rob receiver KD Mixon. Uh, he's a transfer for Colorado, 104 uh, catches in his career and seven touchdowns. So, again, uh, they are bringing in some talent, but they, I guess it's going to be – I guess we could say it's head coaching because under Clay Hilton, uh, this team has brought in so much talent. Um, it's not like they've, they haven't at least been one of the better recruiting teams in the Pac-12. Um, they just haven't been able to get it done, in my opinion. So um, I definitely have them as my dark horse. I could see them uh, possibly. And what I mean by a dark horse uh, is somebody that has an outside chance of winning it, uh, maybe, but more than likely finishing maybe second uh, in the conference, you know, definitely, you know, making it to the, champ the conference championship game. So I could see USC doing that uh, possibly. Uh, but again, I just feel like even their own division is just so wide open because uh, you also have Arizona State there as well who's bringing back a lot of starters including their quarterback um, they are facing some violations but again defensively we might be looking at one of the best teams in the division uh, sorry in that conference in Arizona State well let me take that back I, I can see USC winning the South uh, but it is going to be Arizona State definitely as a dark horse coming out of there um I do have Washington as a dark horse coming out of the North as well. One sleeper team I do have, uh, and what I mean again by sleeper, uh, not necessarily somebody who could potentially has a even out more you know outside chance of winning the division, but more so of a team that will probably turn some heads this year. Uh, more likely going to win more games than they won last year. Uh, we'll just have to kind of, it's like a team that we'll have to wait and see kind of, but I think they could be a lot better than what they were. Uh, that team that I feel come out of the Pac-12 is going to be Cal. Uh, they did a lot. They, they were a pretty okay defensive team. They were top 50. They gave up 26, uh, 26 points a game last year. 
however, that was good enough for fourth in the Pac-12. They are bringing back uh, their best linebacker, uh, one of the best defenders, actually, uh, linebacker Luoni Dang. He had 150 tackles uh, so far in 17 career games. Overall, Cal will be t- uh, returning 28 players who started 74 snaps so far, and that goes between offense and defense, including their quarterback, Chase Garbers. So, again, they have a consistent head coach with Justin Wilcox. He's been there for a while now. It's another season for him. Uh, their defense seems to be taking some strides. One of their top things going for them in it is the running game. So, I definitely have Cal being a sleeper, not necessarily a team that can take the conference this season, but definitely turn some heads, wins a lot more games than, they, than what they were expected to. Uh, so, again, I think they only won maybe two uh, games last year. Uh, definitely, you know, are going to have more opportunities to play, but I can see them definitely winning seven or even eight games this week, uh, this year. And becoming a ball eligible team and maybe knocking off Oregon two years in a row. Again, this is not again the Pac-12 is better than what people give it credit for. Uh, sometimes a team like Oregon, you know, Oregon or USC or whoever's the top team in the Pac-12 at the time, maybe even Washington, they'll take a, a loss to somebody within the conference and they get really you know, mangled by the media for it, and they get really tarnished by the voters for this, but this conference is really deep, and this conference is really competitive. Uh, A lot of people are really sleeping on our teams here. They're sleeping on Arizona State. Arizona State was a top 25 preseason team as well. I don't know if they'll be in the top, I think they'll probably be top 25 by the time the actual rankings come out. Uh, They were 2-2 last season. Uh, In their wins, they had a blowout win against their rival Arizona, 70-7. They also had a a 46-33 win against uh, Oregon State. Uh, They did come up at least, they did come up one point short against USC, again, on the road. Um, But they're bringing back, again, their their starting quarterback, uh, Jaden Daniels, dual threat. He had 1,000 rushing yards, over 700 uh, passing yards. Uh, like I said, this defense is well coached. They have Herm Edwards, Herm Edwards there. We also have Antonio Pierce there. They have NFL talent, or they have NFL. Uh, they have an NFL pipeline there, at least defensively. So look out. I mean, that's definitely a sleeper. That's definitely a dark horse as well. A team that could possibly. Uh, win the conference this year. So again, nobody's giving the Pac-12 a lot of love. Um, they're giving teams, they're giving bottom feeders from the SEC. That this is what the media does. They'll give bottom feeders from the from the SEC more love than our top teams sometimes, or even our middle of the road teams. And I'll be honest with you, I I think on any given day, a middle of the road Pac-12 team could could beat and be on the same level of a, of a lower team as uh, of a lower tier SEC team. And they're pretty much compete. They can pretty much compete with any ACC team barring uh, Clemson, and same thing with the Big Ten. They could probably compete with just about any Big Ten team with the exception of, I would say, possibly, well, definitely Ohio State. I think Ohio State is the team to beat pretty much anywhere um, in the nation, just like Alabama and Clemson. Those top, well, and we saw what happened with Clemson. So this year for Clemson might even be a little bit different. Uh, they even had an upset loss. So this year can go a, a lot of different ways. Like I mentioned before, another top team that was Getting a lot of love going into the year. Uh, Indiana, they got beat down by Iowa last week, 34-6. to uh, Their starting quarterback, Michael Penix, again, had a lot of love going into the Heisman uh, race this season. He ends up throwing three interceptions in that game. You know, it's hard. It's hard to really pinpoint a winner um, until you're, you know, until you watch some games, you know, it's so easy for people to just make these decisions now. And I, I can see myself, I'm seeing myself doing it now, but, you know, particularly in the, in the Big Ten, I saw, um, well, my original uh, predictions were, you know, in the East Division, I had Ohio State coming out of there, which, of course, is going to go, I think, pretty much the plan. Minnesota, you know, watching them last week uh, play against Ohio State, I, I wasn't necessarily super convinced. Um, there's some dark horses that I did have here. Uh, one of them being Indiana. I'm a little bit on the fence about them as well just because of what I saw from them, but I'm a lot more higher on Iowa based on what I saw from their game. Um, again, they're bringing back sophomore quarterback Spencer Petras. Uh, he was third in the conference in passing with 1,569 yards. He also threw for nine touchdowns. So, again, my my definitely my definite favorites here, I'm going to go with Ohio State from the east for the Big Ten. Um Kind of like on the, I'm kind of like on the edge uh, with this division, like I was with the Pac-12 South. You know, I originally wanted to go with Minnesota, uh, but I feel, I feel Iowa could snatch it too. I mean, I, I, Iowa showed me a lot of 
a lot of good defense week one. Uh, Minnesota was on the road. Uh, pretty, this was their, I mean, this this is their test. I mean, it was going to be against Ohio State. So um, kind of hard to say what happens uh, there. But as a sleeper, my sleeper coming out of uh, the Big Ten, of course, is going to be Michigan. Uh, Michigan has had a solid draft class this year. Uh, they did lose a couple players to the transfer portal. Uh, so they're kind of like a mixed bag. I don't know exactly what to say about them just yet. And finally, that leaves us with the ACC. Um, beforehand, I definitely had um, Clemson win it all. I'm a little bit on the – well, I don't know. It's hard. I mean, because North Carolina got beat up two week one. So I still got – I still got Clemson winning a division. I think the championship game now could go either way, particularly depending on who they're playing. I do see uh, Miami coming out of the Coastal. Um, I do have a couple dark horses here. I still have UNC here. Uh, they did kind of get exposed a little bit by Virginia Tech. Uh, they losing up. They lost a lot of players last year, uh, particularly in that running game. Both of the running backs, they lost a wide receiver as well. You got to look at that. Um, and uh, as far as my sleepers, I do have Virginia here, Florida State. Uh, for Florida State, they did bring in transfer quarterback McKenzie Milton from UCF. Uh, he had tw uh, 2,663 yards um, his last his last year uh, playing, um, which was good enough for top 50. Actually, he was 51st in the nation that year. He was also top, almost top 25 in touchdowns that year as well. He had the 25 touchdowns to six interceptions. And this was back in 2018. Of course, he suffered his suffered that traumatic injury but he's worked his way back and i feel like for florida state they've had a full season with their training staff uh mike norville being the new i mean a, a newer head coach uh being a new head coach uh having that time a full practice session a full practice or a full off season to practice with his team i think that's going to go a long way uh you also got running backs jashan corbin and lawrence uh tofili they'll be returning to a ground game that was fourth in the conference in yards per carry that was rated at 5.1 uh tofili would average actually average 9.6 yards per carry so almost every time he took so pretty much every time he touched the ball he was going to get you a first down so Florida State definitely has some positives going forward, I think, offensively. Uh, wide receiver still remains an issue. Uh, all three returning pass catchers, though, uh, because all three, excuse me, wide receiver is still going to be an issue with the Seminoles because all three of their returning pass catchers uh, pretty much averaged less than 13 yards per carry last season. So not a lot of production there. That, that might be something that holds them back. But I definitely think, again, uh, particularly with that close game that they had with um, Notre Dame last week, they did come up short, forty-eight to thirty-one. I still think that they're competitive enough this year that they'll at least win about five or six games. Again, I'm, when I say a sleeper, I'm not saying some team that has a twenty-five percent chance or even ten percent chance of necessarily winning the conference. I'm not even talking about winning the conference at this point. I'm just talking about you know winning a few games, coming in here under the radar, nobody's looking at you, winning a few games that you're not supposed to, and you take it from there going into next season. Um, and I definitely see that coming out of Florida State. All right, y'all. So uh, let's get into this week. Like I said, uh, week two is upon us. Uh, we have some non-top -tw 25 action going on as we speak. Uh, we will get to that later on this weekend. Uh, but let's talk about some of the top 25 matches we're going to be seeing. Uh, like I said, tomorrow, that's going to be the day for the top 25. Uh, first things first, we have Oregon and Ohio State. That's going to start off. For, that's The kickoff for that game is going to be around noon. Um, as far as the prediction is concerned, uh, there's some things we have to look at for both teams. Like I said, with Ohio State, uh, well, I haven't, sp uh, I haven't broken down Ohio State just yet. But they will be breaking in, well, they got they have two redshirt freshmen and they have one five-star recruit that they just brought in at the position. So three quarterbacks that relatively have, well, they have no experience whatsoever. Uh, they do have a solid O-line that is returning their two top pass blockers. Well, one of, the, uh, one of their offensive linemen, of course, one of their top. Well, they're, they're bringing back their two offensive tackles for one. They did lose their offensive guard, one of their guards. He was an All-American. Uh, but for Ohio State, they are bringing back their running game, that running game with Master T. Uh, they should look pretty damn good this year uh, as well. So, also, uh, like I said, um, 
their defense is going to come through. Well, their defense is going to be one of the key factors for Ohio State, particularly against the run. Uh, last year, Ohio State only averaged 97 yards on the ground, 3.4 yards per carry. I don't think Minnesota did that well on the on the ground last week either. Uh, push is going to have to come. Uh, you know, it's it's you know, there's going to have to be some type of give and take here uh, for Oregon. Uh, like I said, they're bringing in a new quarterback as well. Uh, they're Running game is somewhat consistent, although they lost a couple pieces on their O-line as well. Uh, Oregon's big thing is going to be their defense uh, in, in, in this game, I think, as well. Linebacker is going to be a, a going to play a key role because, again, I think Ohio State's going to lean on that rushing attack as well because their quarterbacks are going to be inexperienced. Oregon's going to be a hostile crowd. It's not the biggest stadium in the world, and it does not pack the most people. But somehow, from my understanding, I've been there, also from my personal experience, it's one of the loudest stadiums I've ever been to. So that, you know, I think that's going to affect the game plan for Ohio State as well. They're going to probably be looking to run the ball. And I think, you know, and a lot of, I think a lot of teams think that that's going to be Oregon's weakness this year. I mean, particularly if you look at that Cal game, um, I can't remember what week it was last season, but Cal did a good job on us running the ball. So I think there's going to be a lot of teams, you know, calling card on how they might be able to beat us. So I think if Oregon plays a great game up front, doesn't give up too many too many big plays in terms of being gashed in the running game, I think they could put the game into a, you know, the force the freshman to do it. And I, I don't think any freshman quarterback that hasn't played a lot, I don't think they want to play in Oregon. So I think if Oregon's defense comes to play, then that sets them up for a potential monumental game like they're going to need. Um, we've had so many of these games before, and again, uh, for Oregon, as much as I as po- as positive as I feel for them in terms of, you know, winning the, the Pac-12, I think it's all within their power to do. I think you know whoever comes to the South is going to be comes out of the South is going to be beatable. We're at the point. I'm not going to say that we're going to. It's going to be easy. This, it's going to be super easy this year in our division. But again. The only real, the only real threat, in my opinion, coming from our division this season is going to be coming from Cal, um, and that's just, that's just respect from what I saw last season. Um, so I'll give you that. That could be a potential tra- trap game, but this is, this is going to make or break us, um, because even with a Pac-12 title, a one loss to an Ohio State team, we don't know exactly where Ohio State could end up in terms of their season either, but. This is going to be our test to get there this year. If we can get past Ohio State, then you can, you can, you can. I'm not going to say that we're going to outright be a favorite for the national championship, but you can say that our probability for at least making it to the playoff should be considerably high. Um, a loss to Ohio State again, it doesn't, it doesn't damper an entire season because that could very well be our only loss. I can definitely say that, but. It's definitely important that Oregon gets that win, just in, in just in general, because again we've had these you know these early season interconference matches where we come up short. Again, we played the Auburns, we played we come up short against LSU. At some point, if we're gonna want to be that program that gets the respect, particularly you know any program for the Pac-12, they're gonna have to win those type of games, and that's what it's gonna come down to. So winning that game will put the Ducks in a really good place. Again, a win for Ohio State would do the same thing. I think a loss to Oregon would be less devastating for Ohio State than a loss to Ohio State would be for Oregon. Again, Ohio State, you know, they give they give some some credence to the Big Ten. I can see Ohio State still getting an appearance in the national championship game if they're able to win out in the Big 12. I don't see the same thing happening for Oregon if they were to lose this game. So this is a must-win game for Oregon, definitely. I mean, it's 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 a good it's a good win either way for Ohio State, but it's definitely a must-win uh, for Oregon. That is probably the most interest, well, the most important game, I would say, of the game, of the week. Uh, yeah. Yeah, week two. That is the most important game. Moving on, we have an in-state rivalry. We'll be having Iowa State taking on Iowa, Iowa, and um, in this one, uh, both teams were were active last week. Uh, both teams picked up W's. Uh, both teams played defense, played pretty well defensively. I will say there's a lot to be desired from Iowa State. I didn't see a whole lot of action from Bryce Purdy. He did for throw for a hundred. 
over 165 yards, no touchdowns from him last week against Northern Northern Iowa. Excuse me. Uh, you did have 66 yards on the ground from Breesy Hall. Uh, he got you a touchdown for the Cyclones. Uh, as far as uh, you know, how Iowa looked, we kind of mentioned that briefly. Shutting down uh, Indiana 34 to six, making Michael Penix look at, look below average. Um, I think they forced four turnovers in total. So, again, we have two teams that play defensively pretty well. Uh, the question is which quarterback shows up and takes over. Is it going to be Petras for uh, Iowa or is it going to be Purdy, Brock Purdy, for uh, Iowa State? I think that's going to come down to what it's going to come down to, which offense shows up. Um, as far as a winner in this one, um... I like the way that Iowa looked. Um, I'm gonna give them the pass this when he this this time around. Uh, I'm a I'm a stickler for t- turnovers and uh, making the quarterback look bad. <laughs> and I liked what Iowa Iowa did last week. I'm gonna give them a little bit of edge as far as Oregon Ohio State is concerned. I feel like it's a much it's a much a must win for Oregon. And so. And, and I I think we have to break the trend. It has to stop now. We have to beat a top opponent at some point in the regular season. So I think push comes to serve. I think the, the crowd is too much for the sophomore, for the freshman, excuse me, for Ohio State, the freshman quarterback, whoever it's going to be. I think Oregon comes up and plays a, a tremendous game defensively, and it's going to have to be. Uh, and I think they pull out a, a one-score game. That's what I see for Oregon Ohio State. Moving on, we have Texas and Arkansas. I'm not too high on either one of these teams. Arkansas is pretty much uh, stated to be pretty much stated to finish near the bottom of their conference. Texas could finish number one or two. Again, Texas that's just the, the hype that Texas gets. Um, I got Texas in this one by at least two scores. I think they have the most talent between the two teams. Again, I'm not super high on Texas right now. They are breaking in a new coach. They are going to be on the road in this one. It could it could be a trap game, uh, but I got Texas in this one. They got too much talent. And finally, we have Michigan and Michigan hosting Washington. Uh, the Huskies are a top 25. Well, at least they came into the preseason as a top 25 team. Michigan was somehow left out. Again, you lose enough. Even if you Michigan, you're gonna get left out of the top 25. I'm a little bit, a little bit, you know, surprised about that. I didn't look, I didn't see them in any real top 25 rankings. Um, but for Michigan, they are bringing a good amount of people back. They lose, did lose their one of their uh, running backs, Zach Charbonnet. Uh, he was really effective in that game last week against you. Uh, sorry, against uh, LSU. In this one, um, I got Michigan in this one. I think Michigan does have better talent. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about what they have at quarterback. I think Washington does have the most consistency there. consistency there. I did not see too much of Washington last season, but from what I understand, uh, again, from what I understand about them, just from a football standpoint, yeah, the Washingtons are, I mean, sorry, the, the Huskies, the Washington Huskies are returning seven starters last from last year, including their QB, uh, Dylan Morris. But I did see them last week. Um, against um, sorry, against Montana. Now Montana is a Division two school, if I'm not mistaken. They lost that game thirteen to seven, and Michigan's a much better team than uh, Washington. So as intriguing as I want this matchup to be, as interesting as I would like for it to be, um. I got Michigan winning in this one. And I got it winning kind of just just from what I saw uh, last week from Washington. Very uninspired offensively. Uh, not much to speak of um, in terms of offensive production. Yeah, they only put up seven points and uh, had 291 yards of total offense, 65 yards on the ground. They, over, they only averaged about four yards per play. Uh so, I mean, they, they moved the ball down the field. They were able to get 21 first downs last week, which, hey, doesn't mean much, doesn't mean much when you only get seven points, but I guess they were able to move the ball to some extent. Three total turnovers in the form of interceptions. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Dylan Morris had a very terrible game. So, I mean, again, I mean, they're bringing back some pieces. But are they, I mean, I guess the moral is just because you bring back certain pieces, a team brings back a lot of different pieces from their team before. Just because, you know, just because they're bringing it back doesn't mean they're going to be that successful, particularly if they weren't successful the year before. And Washington did have troubles offensively last year. So I got Michigan winning by at least three scores in this one, just based on what I saw last week. Um, not a lot of offense to speak from for Washington. As far as Michigan is concerned, they're coming off of a blowout win against Western, Western Michigan, excuse me, 47-14. Uh, in that one, uh, you had, of course, offense galore. Uh, McNamara uh, gets to start K. McNamara, and uh, he had a pretty solid game. Uh, he threw for a couple touchdowns. Uh, he went 9 of 11 for 136 yards on the ground. Uh, we had three rushing touchdowns on the ground. Uh, for Michigan, they had over 335 yards. Yeah, they had 335 yards rushing last week. They're going to be coming in there to rush the ball. I, yeah, Washington be able to be able to be able to strap up and chin up because it, it it looks like it could be bad. Just just in my opinion, it, it could very well be a blowout. Um, Michigan was very efficient on third down, eight of thirteen. Uh, didn't really ball, punt the ball much. Yeah. No, no interceptions. Uh, it might just be, it might just be a bad day for Washington. Just to be honest with you, I mean, again, I mean, if you can't, if you can't score on Montana, you you probably can't score on Michigan. So, yeah, that's those are my predictions for the week or at least my top 25 predictions for this week. We'll see how well I did uh, tomorrow night. We'll go over everything. Uh, I'll try to go over everything tomorrow night or Sunday uh, to see how well we did. Um, yeah, that is. I'm going to take a quick break. We just went over everything for the college football season, at least for up to week two. I'm going to take a quick break, and then we'll go over some NFL shit. I'll be right back, y'all. Lamborghini, Green Diablo, Cool VT, it's like DVD when I float, feel me, I'm loved like the great, late Malik Silly, the one the player haters hate dearly, but can't dare me, homicide can't scare me, I owe by by the laws of these streets, sincerely a real nigga, the type that can build with ya, verbalize, bring life to a steel picture, it's God given, been blessed with our laws, vision, strength and beauty, truly my only duty is the dog's prison, play with me, I'm modest to them strays hit me, regardless the all right y'all if you like what you hear please be sure to subscribe please be sure to give me a shout out on spotify i also have a youtube channel as well that you can subscribe to never out of bounds it's the same name you can also follow me on ig as well i'll leave that link available for you guys as well i'm working on a new official uh, Facebook page when that is up and running I'll give you the links to that as well but let's go ahead and get into it we have some uh, NFL news to cover first things first is it all bad right now in Baltimore now Gus Edwards joins two other Ravens running backs JD JK Dobbins and Justice Hill to suffer a season engine ending injury Ooh. Um, this time it's an ACL uh, Dobbins tore his ACL, uh, ACL as well, and uh, Hill, Justice Hill, will be out due to an injury to his Achilles tendon. God damn! At the same practice, though, starting defensive back Marcus Peters tore his ACL too, and will miss the entirety of this season. His 31 interceptions leads the NFL since his arrival in the league. I believe it was 2015. Damn. Now, with Peters, Baltimore has allowed the fewest yards per pass attempt at 6.1. I also believe they allowed uh, the fewest passing touchdowns in the league as well. I believe it's 35 or 31. I don't know the exact number. Forgive me. Uh, but... Again, he's a tremendous asset to their defensive unit. Same thing. He was the same thing at Kansas City. 
Why the Raiders never picked him up, I don't know. I guess we don't like good players. We like average players that we can somehow, I don't know. Anyway, as of today, the starting running back will be Tyshawn Williams. And behind him will be Trenton Cannon. And William hasn't had an NFL carry just yet. They recently brought in Le'Veon Bell and Devontae uh, Freeman, excuse me, to uh, work out, well, pretty much join their practice squad. So we will probably uh, end up, maybe one or two of those guys might be in the rotation. I'm pretty sure, actually, if I'm not mistaken, they recently just signed uh, Latavius Murray. Um, I think all three of those guys could still be a starter, in my opinion. Uh, maybe not Devontae Freeman per se, taking all the all the loads, all the all the carries, but I think he could definitely be within the mix. Um, I just think Le'Veon Bell didn't get a whole lot of catch, a lot of touches last season. I still think he's athletically ready. I still think he's physically fit to play. I just think he needs the opportunity. Baltimore will show him the opportunity. Um, I don't think Baltimore goes the entire season with having somebody who's never taken a. Never had an actual NFL carry be the starter. Um, I don't know if, with that being said, they just brought in Latavius Murray. I don't know if he's, if Murray is going to be your starter for week one. I don't think Bell or Freeman are ready either. So he might, Williams, Tyson, uh, Tyson might be the starter for week one. But I think outside of that, you start to move out. You start to look at who else is around him. Like I said, uh, you start to look at one of these veterans. Like, of course, you brought in Latavius Murray. I don't think he's going to go to the practice squad. I think Le'Veon Bell goes to, went to the practice squad and Freeman went because they haven't been playing necessarily that much. Um, Latavius Murray, he's had an offseason to play. He's He's been running and all that. So, you know, and he has, you know, efficient production, I think, to not warrant, you know, all that. Um, so I do think... He beca- I think he becomes a starter. Again, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if Le'Veon Bell is still in the mix, though. Um, again, because he does have experience. He, I mean, he's carried the ball. So does Devontae Freeman. I, I think all three of these guys should get some touches. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I don't. That, that's not to say that Tyson uh, or um, Tr- uh, Trenton don't deserve carries. I think that they do, particularly maybe this week. I think you st- you see what they can do with them this week, and then they kind of gauge it to see where they can go. Um, does this hurt Baltimore? Yes. Um, this sets them up in a very peculiar situation because, uh, well, they do they did upgrade their receiver, which is a good thing, and of course they have Mark uh, Andrews tied down for the long call, so they don't have to worry about that. So I think passing the ball, if <laughs> see this is the thing if. If Lamar hasn't proved as a passer, this might be okay for them. Although I think, I think they might have him run it a little bit more this season just to kind of offset that. Again, it all depends about who they're going to be using as their starter and who they're going to be utilizing in that rotation. Um, I think if you if you if you put if you have a rotation of, I would say personally Murray, Bell, and maybe Cannon or Williams, you should be okay. Uh, particularly if Jackson has become a better passer. I think think Baltimore could also, like I said, add him more to the running game as well, just like they kind of did his rookie season and kind of have him do that some more. Just kind of offset that, just kind of just so you have a running game. Um, But if his arm has improved, I think Baltimore might be okay. I think Latavius Murray was a very good pickup. Uh, He was, you know, within that rotation at – at New Orleans, and he wasn't the starter, but he was definitely getting carries behind Alvin Kamara. He stayed fresh, and he he had some production. I, again, I think uh, one of his most productive years, despite not being a starter in terms of yards per carry, and I think overall carries, if I'm not mistaken. So, I think that's a smart move. They really they made a great move to bring in Latavius Murray. Again, even Le'Veon Bell and Devontae Freeman's were a good move because. Because they have experience, I don't know if Levante, Devonta, sorry, Devante has the legs or the 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 health to go through a full season. Um, I don't know where he's been at, but I def I've seen I've seen Le'Veon Bell. He looks like he's ready to go. He looks like he's ready to run through something. He's looks like he's ready at least physically to catch passes. 
I think if he's put in that rotation, it will do Baltimore some wonders. I don't I don't think they miss that much of a beat. I, that's just me. I, I, I think it's something to – and, again, I think a lot of it comes down to this. Has Lamar Jackson improved as a passer? And I love him to death. He's a Capricorn like me. I think he's born the same birthday as me. So I'm always have – he's going to be like my birthday brother. I got, I got much love for him. But I think if he improves as a passer – this will be okay because they've added some bodies there. So in terms of their receivers, so they might, like I said, they might be okay defensively. That's a big, that is a big piece, particularly in that def, uh, in that secondary. Again, Marcus Peters is probably one. In my opinion, you can say what you want. He is definitely my my pick for top corner in the league. I know people will say Patrick Ramsey. Uh, I go by. You can say what you want about me. I'm a stat head. And, again, he has the most interceptions. I'm going with the defensive back with the most interceptions. That is the stat that makes the – that is the stat that makes anybody in the defensive secondary is interceptions. It's like a a hitter when it comes to baseball, first baseman or designated hitter. I don't care about his average. How many home runs does he have? Okay? Give me that. I, you know, you can make your case for, you know, uh, Peters, uh, sorry, uh, you can make your, you can make your case, uh, for, for Ramsey, but I'm going to go with Marcus Peters. I, I know I I've seen him for too many years. He's been consistent for too many years in my opinion. Um, and, uh, let's move on. Uh, so in my opinion, the Ravens are still all right. Um, they still, I mean, of course, I mean, that division, that division is just hard, you know, particularly with, you know, the Browns developing, you know, they'll still have to get to the Steelers and all that, but they should still be in an okay place. Moving on, uh, we do have a, a re-signing and extension to talk about. TJ, uh, he stays. TJ, uh, TJ Watt, JJ Watt's little brother, he decides to stay with the Steelers. Now, the outside linebacker, like I said, re-signed with, with Pittsburgh for four years uh, and $112 million with $80 million guaranteed. Last season, Watt finished second in defensive play of the year voting next to Aaron Donald of the Rams. He also finished that year with 15, uh, 15 sacks, an interception, and two forced fumbles. He also had 53 total tackles. Uh, this is the third. This well, that that was his third straight double sack season. The season before then, he had uh, well, the seasons before that, he had 13 and 14 and a half, respectively. Uh, and since 2018, he has had 42 and a half sacks, and that is second in the league next to Aaron Donald. So he earned his money. Um, there was somewhat of a holdout before all this happened. I don't think, you know, it was gonna. It was really a situation in which Pittsburgh really wasn't going to resign him or was going to come together with the numbers. I just think they needed to take their time and really come up, you know, I guess, you know, come up with a, a deal that works for both of them. But it wasn't like they were going to let him walk away, uh, especially with Bud Dupree uh, walking in the offseason. Uh, they need that defensive help. I mean, again, this is what's going to, you know, I think take them over the edge. Uh, their offense, I think it's okay. Uh, you know, you still got Aaron Rodgers. I'm sorry, Aaron Rodgers, sorry, wrong team. You got Ben Roethlisberger there. You got some solid receivers. Uh, the running game leaves a, leaves a little bit to be desired. So, again, with, a, with an offense that's not completely there, you got to have something to pick up for that, and that's going to have to be that solid defense. Um I mean, a good pickup. I mean, a good move by the Steelers. They they would not want to lose him and Bud Dupree going into the next season. Uh, finally, in terms of the news, uh, we have the Saints making a trade. The Saints trade a third-round draft pick for next season and also a sixth-round draft pick for the next season uh, to, uh, sorry, for 2023 for uh, Texans defensive back Bradley Roby. Uh, Roby was a first-round pick in 2014. He was drafted by the Denver Broncos, and he has made a sorry. He has made 49 career starts, and he has 10 career interceptions. Now, this was a must-field position, according to the Saints, uh, particularly uh, and according to their defensive coordinator Dennis Allen, uh, particularly after releasing veteran uh, cornerback Janoris Jenkins again to fill up space for salary cap. Uh, it was a big major salary dump for this uh, for the Saints this offseason. Uh, they have to, they had to make some pieces work. Uh, again, you know, Drew Brees' contract put a number on them. Uh, they've had to make a lot of concessions. They probably will have to trade one of the best receivers at some point as well. And Michael Thomas, uh, they're in some they're in some transition period um, as far as where I see. Well, we'll go over con- conference and divisional um, winners and just my predictions out of that. Maybe yeah, a little bit later. But um, 
I think this is a solid pickup again for them. Uh, they do need some. They do need some depth there. Uh, they do add that. They add it. They add that body there. Uh, there is a couple more questions to um, figure out though. Like again, you know, what is that running game going to consist of? Uh, we did lose a few pieces there uh, with your backup Latavius. Uh, again, what is your receiver question going to be with you know Michael Thomas? Do you trade him? Does he stay? So the Saints, the Saints have a few more questions to answer, but uh, I think their defense should be shored up. Their defensive line is pretty good. They got Trey, uh, what was his name? Is it? Oh, I can't remember his last name, but he's on the he's on the end with Cameron Jordan. They have a solid they have a solid defensive line. Their linebackers are pretty decent as well. So, uh, good good trade uh, made for the Saints. Um, that's what you got. And let's get through it. Uh, Thursday night football, first game of the NFL season. Let's talk about it. It was in prime time. The Cowboys, they come up short 29 to 31 to the uh to last year's Super Bowl champions, the Buccaneers. Uh 29 to 31 is the final score, of course. For the Cowboys, offensively, they were led by Dak. Of course, he would go 42 42 of 58 for 403 yards. He would have three touchdowns, but he would throw a pick. Ezekiel Elliott, uh Left a lot, a lot to be desired last night. Just 33 yards on the ground. Uh, we had 13 catches and 139 yards from Amari Cooper. Excuse me. He also caught two touchdown passes. C.D. Lamb did his thing with seven catches, 104 yards, and also a touchdown as well. And defensively, uh, defensive back Anthony Brown would do his thing. He was a leading tackler. He would he would have 11 of those. And defensive back Trayvon Diggs and also Jordan Lewis would have interceptions. Uh, moving to the Buccaneers, offensively, of course, Tom Brady would do his thing last night, 32 of 50, uh, 379 yards, four touchdowns, two picks. Leonard Fournette would have 32 yards on the ground. Antonio Brown uh, pretty much showing out first game of the year, five catches, 121 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Chris Godwin would have nine catches for 105 yards and a touchdown. And Rob Gronkowski would get you eight catches for 90 yards and two touchdowns. Defensively, uh, Tampa Bay was helped out by linebacker Devin White. He would have 10 total tackles. Uh, Shaquille Barrett would have four total tackles and a sack. And defensive back Carlton Davis would have an interception. Uh, pretty much my takeaways from the game, as usual, Cowboys come up short. And, again, y'all just making Brady look good. Um, I mean, before it's worth, I mean, it's, it's not Dak's fault. Um, that played a damn good game. Um, I, I've been saying this secretly. I've been telling them a couple of my friends this for the past couple of years. I'm going to start kind of banging on the table a little bit louder now. Why don't y'all think about trading Zeke? Uh, there's been too many games where I've seen he hasn't shown up. Um, he's not giving you a whole lot. He doesn't catch the ball. Um, as either. So 33 rushing yards in a game like this. I mean, you had 29 points. Again, not so bad. I mean, but that could have been a factor. With that being said, Tampa didn't run the ball either. But again, we have Leonard Fournette versus Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott should have got you at least 100 yards in the game. Ezekiel Elliott, with all the, with all the props that he gets, with all the love that Dallas fans give him, uh, Y'all give so much stress to Dak and say he has to do all this. 42 of 58 is a damn good game. 403 passing yards is a damn good game. Three touchdowns is a good is a good game. Again, you didn't get the L, but I think that's partly because you're off your running back, your star running back did not show up, and he doesn't show up in these type of games. So uh, why not trade Zeke? Y'all paid Zeke. I mean, this is the thing. This is the thing. Teams don't want to pay. They don't want. They want to pay everybody but a quarterback. Like, oh, we can just draft a quarterback and, and do whatever. Again, Dak is the reason why they didn't get blown out in this game. So, uh, I mean, again, y'all don't want to pay quarterbacks, but y'all want to pay whoever y'all paid here. Y'all paid Zeke. Y'all y'all had no problem with giving him the more money that he wanted. Oh, let's pay Zeke, and Zeke don't do shit. We know who the anchor now is offensively for the Dallas Cowboys. This is what this game told me. And if I'm if I'm if <laughs> and if I'm looking at things the way they are, I'm looking to trade. I'm looking to trade Zeke. I'm looking to trade Zeke. Let's see what value we got. Let's see what I, I didn't like what I saw from Ezekiel uh, last night. Um, if if you ask me, I'm I, I'll be willing to trade him and see what Tony Pollard can do. Uh, see what our committee can do. 
uh, and see what we can do next year in terms of maybe drafting one. Um, that's what I would do. I, I, I'm not going to say he's a bust, uh, but it's clear that running backs really just have a small, really, you know, a really small shelf in terms of being a day one, uh, 300 carry per season type of back or, you know, 30, 30 carries per game type of back. Um, they have a small, uh, small shelf life for that. Um, We'll have to see. Maybe you, maybe I mean, you definitely want to get Tony Pollard involved and more involved uh, some more in that running game just to see what y'all can do. Because thirty-three yards on the ground again, that's unacceptable. Uh, if you want to win games like this, you need more than thirty-three yards on the ground. And again, you know, Tampa didn't do some that much better. But again, if we again, Ezekiel Elliott is supposed to be the better running back than Leonard Fournette. So he's supposed to be getting you, getting you more. And again, I keep seeing these games, and we put so much drama on Dak and so much, so much stress on Dak. He is, he is y'all anchor though for my my Dallas Cowboy partners. That is y'all anchor. Come talk to me if you feel otherwise. Y'all need to do something. Y'all need to do something to help him out. Y'all need to do something to, to balance this offense out. You have the receivers. Uh, what else you need? A great running back. That's what's holding y'all back. I think y'all have a decent, have a decent enough O line. Uh, again, he threw for over 400 yards. He had 50 passes, uh, completed a good amount of them. It's your running game. It's your running game. Trade trade Zeke. I'm going to say it right now. <laughs> Y'all might think I'm crazy, but I'll take it. I'll take it. They're not going to tell you the things. They're not going to tell you the things that I They're not going to tell you these type of things on first take. <laughs> Y'all not ready. But um, we're going to call it a break for today. Uh, as far as my uh, my next episode is concerned, uh, it will either come out either tomorrow night or uh, maybe Sunday. Uh, but we're going to be going over some. Um, let's see, we're going to be going over some more news from this from the NFL world. Of course, uh, I just found out some, some news about Lyle Collins. Uh, he will be facing the five game suspension. So we, I was talking about talking some good stuff about the Cowboys' offensive line. Looks like we're going to have some drama to deal with. Uh, we, I'm also going to be talking about some Urban Meyer and the Jaguars. Uh, I also want to go over my conference and divisional previews. Of course, uh, we'll be starting off with the AFC, so the South, North, West, and East. Uh, we'll also be breaking down some college basketball, sorry, some college football, forgive me. Some news, of course, some scores, uh, some top 25 action, some non top 25 action. Again, today you had pretty much all the, all the non 20 top 25 guys going at it, non top 25 teams. Uh, tomorrow you have all the top 25 matchups that I did mention. So I'm going to go over all those as, as many as I want to. I'm not going to go every, over every game. It's going to be a lot of games of college football tomorrow. I'm not going over everyone. I'm not. It's too much time. Anyways, I want to go over the MLB as well. Some news, some scores, the standings, of course, the wild card race. It's all up for grabs. Uh, let's talk about it. Uh, maybe some international and or and or national news as well. Um, I did uh, mention that I did want to get into some uh, Afghanistan history and kind of talk about what's going on there. I decided to make that a YouTube video so I can go a little bit more in depth so I can get some more facts going. Um, also, I did feel like I was going to, because of what I wanted to catch up on in terms of the football I, I pretty much decided I just make this episode today on the podcast strictly just football, college football, NFL, and then like I said, I'll save uh, my my information that I got for Afghanistan. I'll say that for a YouTube, a small YouTube special report. Probably not go, probably not gonna go as far in, or it's not gonna be as long as my last video, uh, which was my sports stories about SummerSlam 2000. If you haven't checked that out yet, please do. Um, but it probably won't be as it probably won't be as long as that. So I'm gonna try to keep it between 10 and 15 minutes. But again, for those of you who might have been looking forward to hearing that on the podcast, it won't be here, but it will be on YouTube uh, shortly, uh, within the next day or so. So please look out for that. Uh, give me a like, whatever you can for that. Look at it, however you want to do it, however you want to show your support. It's fine with me. All right, y'all. If anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. Peace out, one love, and I'll holler at you guys soon.